0: invite you for a moment to imagine, and and maybe for some of you this will not be any uh, big stretch of the imagination, that you have a health concern. So you go to the doctor to ask him about what's going on. And after the doctor runs some tests on you and maybe sends your blood to the lab or or something like that, he, he comes to you and tells you, you have a particular disease and you're gonna need to do something in your life to prevent you from dying from this disease. Maybe he tells you 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 have to follow a prescribed diet. You have a a gluten allergy, and if you eat any more bread, it's going to kill you. So here's what you need to do, or maybe he gives you a prescribed uh, workout regimen, some exercise program saying, uh, if you don't lose this weight, uh, your heart's going to fail. Well, imagine you you go to that doctor, he tells you those things, how do you respond to him? Do you sit back and say, well, that's nice, maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't. I highly doubt that's what you would do. If he tells you, you must stop eating bread or you will die, I assume you're going to stop eating bread. He's given you a very dire warning. He's given you a prescription for what you need to do. This doctor knows what he's talking about. He has this medical authority. He has the results of all of these labs. He knows what he's talking about. You need to listen to him. Will you? A better question to ask yourselves this evening. The triune God has called you as his people. The triune God has sovereignly prescribed a program of living for all people, especially his very own people. He's told you that this is absolutely vital for your life. Be holy even as the Lord your God is holy. What do you do about that? prescription. Do you take that prescription seriously? Do you take this order from the great and glorious God seriously? See, that's one of the great needs of our lives, to be a people holy unto God, to live a life of holiness, because that is what our God has called us to. And here in this text this evening, in 1 Thessalonians uh, for 1 through 8 we once again come to this prescription this order from the Lord our God be holy see here in these 8 verses we see that the trying god calls you to a progressive particular and purposeful sanctification 3 Ps very easy to remember a progressive sanctification Particular sanctification and purposeful sanctification. So I'd like to look at this text then under those three P's, those three headings. I seek to show you this evening in verses 1 through 2 that the triune God calls you to progressive sanctification. In verses 3 through 6, we see that the triune God calls you to particular sanctification. And in the last two verses, 7 and 8, the triune God calls you to purposeful sanctification. There is there's purpose behind God's call for us to be sanctified. Those three things, progressive, particular, and purposeful, to demonstrate to us this evening this path which the Lord desires us to walk on. Uh, you remember just general context of of this book, as Mr. Colvin and I have gone through, remember Paul has talked about how uh, he worked among the Thessalonians, how he had preached the gospel to them, how he had lived his life in such a way that uh, they uh, saw that he was not trying to get anything out of them, but rather they saw that he wanted to see them come to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last uh, last time we were in First Thessalonians, Mr. Colvin uh, came to that uh, that prayer. There at at the end of chapter three. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Paul has been working through his encouragement to the Thessalonians both encouraging them in their faith, encouraging them in the fact that the gospel was proclaimed to them, encouraging them uh, when he himself was encouraged by Timothy's visit. And so now he comes to a a practical application section. Here he comes to a place where he wants to remind them that as Christian people, they must progress in sanctification. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4 with me. Paul writes there, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Now he opens this section up saying, finally then, he's, he's not exactly coming to a conclusion, but what he is saying is in light of all of those other things which he's talked about, now he wants to shift into something different. Now that he has prayed that the Lord would cause these Thessalonian Christians to grow in their faith and their holiness, now he's telling them, all right, here's what we're going to look at next. We're going to look at what this sanctification uh, is, what you need. And So he comes to this verse saying, Finally, brethren, shifting into a new topic, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Now, these words, request and exhort, might seem that that Paul is uh, kind of holding back a little bit. Now, you know that Paul has been uh, very loving and and amicable throughout this entire letter. He's sought to encourage the Thessalonians greatly. He's told them how much he loves them. And here it's no different. He calls them brethren to uh, demonstrate his love towards them. And he is now requesting and exhorting them. But is this Paul stepping back and just suggesting something to the Thessalonian believers? No. Why? Because he's requesting and exhorting them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here that this call for the Thessalonian believers to progress in sanctification isn't he himself asking them to do this. Paul's saying, this, this isn't my opinion of what you need to do. This is me as your brother in Christ saying, here is the Lord Jesus telling you what you need to do. He says that he requests and exhorts them in Christ so that as they received instruction in how they ought to live, that they would excel at it. He exhorts them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Excel in what you have been taught. Grow, progress in sanctification. He speaks here of what we call progressive sanctification. Now, in Scripture, as you read about sanctification, you can see two different kinds of sanctification. One we call definitive sanctification. Definitive sanctification is that fact of your salvation. That when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous in God's sight because Christ's righteousness is given to you. And then you are set apart as someone who is holy to God. You are different than everyone else in the world. You have God's name placed upon you. And so you are different, holy, as it were, because you are now one of the justified children of God. And that's what we call definitive sanctification. But scripture speaks of another kind of sanctification progressive sanctification. See, God does not call us to uh, be holy and then he says, Now sit there on your laurels and don't do anything. No, he calls us to grow and excel. Progressive sanctification is when we More and more put to death the deeds of the flesh, so that we might live more and more unto righteousness. That's what the Shorter Catechism talks about when it gives us the definition of sanctification. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me, in question number 35 of the Shorter Catechism, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed and the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. God calls us to, in full reliance upon the Holy Spirit in our lives, to die to our sins, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to look at those things which God calls sin and to hate them even as God hates them, to be done with them, to put them away from us as far as we possibly can, and to live unto righteousness, to walk in God's ways, seeking to please our Lord and God, seeking to follow after our Savior Jesus Christ. It's the work of God in our lives. God declares us righteous and He sets us apart with this definitive sanctification, and He says, Now walk in my ways, follow after the Lord. Jesus Christ. This is sanctification that you are called to in this verse. It's not a suggestion. Here, Paul says that he requests and exhorts them in the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing in the authority of Christ, but he tells them that this is how they ought to walk, possibly more, more literally, how you must walk to please God. The purpose of this sanctification is pleasing God. We'll come to that more at the end of this text. Christians, you are called to excel more and more in your sanctification. And you're called to do that because you have been taught what God's will is, what His commandments are. Look at verse 2. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and, and to us, You know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You remember in chapter 2 that uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians that uh, they knew that he was exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of them, even as a father would his own children, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul reminds these Thessalonian believers that when he came and proclaimed the gospel to them, he didn't stop at telling them, Jesus Christ died for your sins, have faith in him. No, he followed that great commission which Christ said. Paul said, the Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has commanded me to proclaim this gospel and to also baptize and teach whatever he has commanded. You know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. All things whatsoever Christ had taught his disciples, those are things which Paul taught the Thessalonians. Those are things which you who were born into the church and and grew up in the faith have been taught. Those are things which we review each Lord's Day. After each Lord's Day, when we read one portion of the law, before we confess our sins, you you are reminded over and over and over again what the will of God is, what His commandments are, so that we might walk in them, pleasing God, excelling in these things. Thessalonians were taught, you have been taught these things. Why? So that you might grow in sanctification, that you might... Progress. Which leads to the question then, are you growing in your sanctification? Are you producing fruit? Do you see in your lives those sins which which you once committed, do you see those as, as vile and heinous? Have you put them behind you and are you fleeing toward Christ constantly? Do you delight in the law of God? Are you making use of those ordinary means of grace that God has given to you to help you in this task of sanctification? Do you search the Scriptures to see what the Lord would have you to do, to to reveal to you that inner remnant of sin so that you might put it to death? Do you search the Scriptures so that you might see the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself up for you? Do you search the Scriptures to see how you might better please your Heavenly Father? I encourage you to make use of these means. God, God has given them to you as such a gracious gift. Don't ignore them or put them aside. Use them. The reading of the Word, prayer, attending the preaching of the Word, the worship of God, a partaking of the sacraments and, and Seeing that that sensible sign of what Christ has done. Are you growing in your sanctification parents? Are you teaching your children all those things which Christ commanded? Are you using these means which God has given to you? To help your children to progress in their sanctification. To help your children to grow in their faith and deepen in their repentance. I exhort you to make a a, a habitual practice of family worship. That's such a good uh, and glorious thing. It's it's so helpful for young children to hear the scriptures daily, to see how important it actually is uh, in the lives of God's people, to pray together so that they might themselves grow in their ability to pray, Uh, to sing together so that they might uh, grow in their ability to praise God and glorify him make use of these means and make use of these means in helping your children so that they too might be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ they have been baptized into the name of the triune god they are members of the church help them to grow in their sanctification so that they might glorify the lord god See, <clears throat> the Lord calls us to progressive sanctification to grow. But here in this text, He, he also calls us to a particular sanctification. Our confession talks about uh, repentance and how we're not just to make a habit of uh, general repentance, but we are to repent of particular sins particularly. We are to uh, see those Uh, Exact things which we have done which sin against God. And we are to repent of those. In the same way, we must practice a kind of particular sanctification. Putting to death particular sins in our repentance. And that's more or less what Paul talks about here in this middle section of our text this evening. Verses 3 to 6. A particular sanctification where Paul addresses one of the... uh, Great sins of his age, one of the great sins of our own age, uh, an idolatry even in our own age, and one which is so nefarious that creeps into the lives of even people in the church and really is absolutely destructive in your pursuit of holiness. Here Paul talks about being sanctified when it comes to sexuality, sexual ethics. Abstaining from sexual immorality. Look at verses 3 through 6. We read here, This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Paul here tells them that they need sanctification in this area, particular sanctification in this area, by addressing three different aspects of this sexual immorality. First, just very generally, That the Thessalonians and you, brothers and sisters, must abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, What is sexual immorality? Well, I would encourage you to look at uh, the larger catechism, uh, questions 138 and 139, where it talks about all those sins uh, which are addressed by the seventh commandment. And there is a, a whole long list. All of those are sexual immorality. But the beginning of 138, I think, makes a good summary of what sexual immorality is. It it speaks of uh, the command telling us that we are to uh, avoid all unchastity in thought, word, and deed. All unchastity in thought, word, and deed. You see, sexual immorality is not just an external outward act. Sexual immorality also appears in in the thoughts and it appears in the words which proceed from the heart. Sexual immorality, another definition that for children would be when two people behave like a married couple when they shouldn't in any way, shape, or form. Paul here tells us you must abstain from this. You must not practice this at all. That is God's will for you. That you be chaste in all of your thoughts, words, and deeds. This is the very will of God. Practicing sanctification by abstaining, avoiding fleeing this great, heinous, vile sin. This sin is all around us in our day and age. You can't really take a road trip without driving past signs on the road which promote sexual immorality. You can barely turn on the television without seeing ads or shows which glorify sexual immorality. This is a sin which is prevalent in our day. But we can take heart because it was just as prevalent when Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. They lived in a culture where sexual immorality was glorified. There were uh, cult prostitutes for the various temples. Nobody really cared who they went out and did anything with. They practiced Sexual immorality, it was socially acceptable, uh, even socially glorified. If Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in that day and age when they were experiencing that kind of culture, how much encouragement can we take this evening that the Christian is called to and can abstain from sexual immorality because that's God's will for them. They were called to, in the ancient world, we are called to today. Very similar cultures. The Lord is gracious. and He's called us to abstain from this, particularly so that we might grow particularly in this area of sanctification. How do we do this? How do we abstain from this? Well, the next couple of verses, Paul gives clarification in different aspects of what this sin entails so that we might be more thoroughly equipped to put it to death, and to avoid it, to keep ourselves from it. First, in verses 4 through 5, Paul writes, he wants, uh, it's the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. What does Paul mean by vessel here? Well, commentators are actually somewhat divided on this, it could be one of two things. First, it could very simply be this vessel, each of you uh, possessing your own vessel is talking about the body, your, your own body. Paul says, if that is the case, that you must learn how to control yourself physically and in all aspects. See, he says, essentially, you don't have any excuses here. You can't say, well, it's hormones, uh, it's desire, it's all of these things. No, he he says you must learn how to control your body. That you might possess your your vessel in sanctification and honor. So that's one view. The other view would be that um, this is actually speaking about marriage. The vessel being the wife. You know that a vessel is used for a wife in other places. That husbands are to honor their wives as as the weaker vessel. And so some make that connection there. Whichever is the case, the point which Paul makes here is that you must behave yourself in sanctification and honor. You must treat your your own body as a thing which has been united to Christ. For indeed, we are united to Christ's body and soul. And so our own bodies must not be used for sin. They should be possessed in in, uh, sanctification and honor. Uh, And the same thing would be true of the husband and wife relationship. You must seek to preserve your spouse's sanctification and honor in this area as well. This is, is what glorifies the Lord, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, keeping yourself pure and physically, striving toward that end. And what is the, the flip side of this? Well, because if you're not possessing your vessel in sanctification of sanctification and honor you're Behaving like someone who doesn't know God. That's that's the point that Paul makes here in verse 5. It's a warning. He says that you must possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. See, the the warning here is that making practice of any kind of sexual immorality is the exact same kind of behavior as someone who does not know God at all. The Gentiles in the ancient world, the unbelievers in our own world, they're ruled by lustful passions. They let their emotions drive them to commit sexual immorality. They let their hormones drive them to commit sexual immorality. They take in anything and everything around them They feed on it. They don't control themselves. They they don't seek to uh, avoid this sin. No, they just go for it. Because they don't know God. They're unregenerate. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. And they love their sin. They've made it their God. An idol. Paul here says, dear Christian, if you are not behaving in the way which God has called you to, if you are not possessing your vessel in sanctification and honor, you're acting like the unregenerate. This is is a dire warning. This is frightful. Who among us who loves the Lord Jesus Christ wants to be like the unregenerate? God forbid that we should be like that. Take this warning to heart. The practicing sexual immorality is acting like someone who doesn't know God at all. Use this warning to help you in your sanctification, to mark and avoid all sins, sexually immoral sins, so that you may grow in your sanctification and honor. And the third aspect that Paul looks at here in these verses in and verse 6 is the fact that practicing sexual immorality is not just a sin against your own self or a sin against God. It always involves another party. Verse 6, <clears throat> Paul writes that, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. You see, it is a fact an undeniable fact that sexual immorality involves not just one person. It always involves someone else. It involves a person who is practicing, but also the, the object of their, their lust and their desire. It's, it's defrauding someone. It's... it's Taking something that is not yours. Taking something that that belongs to someone else. And then most of the time, casting it aside afterward so that they can go on to the next thing. Brothers, every woman who appears in, in, in pornography is someone's daughter. Possibly someone's sister. If you look at that, you are sinning not only against yourself by committing this sexual immorality, you're sinning against God, you're also sinning against that woman. It's the sexually immoral, it's the lust which causes those things to continue and to be promoted in this world. You're defrauding someone, taking what is not yours, cheating someone it's a sin you're sinning against yourself also sinning against your spouse or your future spouse when you commit sexual immorality you are either committing uh, adultery proper because you're married or you're committing some kind of, of fornication which is a sin against that person who you would marry in the future. You've defrauded them as well, because you've not kept yourself solely for your spouse. Paul gives another warning, along with this, this aspect. He says, "No man, let no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Why? Because the Lord is the avenger." In all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. Paul says this, this is sin. Avoid it. Abstain from it. Keep from it. Why? Well, really, for your own soul's sake, because God is a just God and a holy God. God is the one who will avenge those who have been sinned against on the last day. No one escapes God's justice. Unless God's justice has been met through the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. God's justice is proclaimed in one way or the other, either proclaimed by His pouring out His wrath and justice upon Christ or to the unrepentant, pouring out His wrath upon them. One way or the other, punishment is meted out. Paul warns you, if you are behaving like an unbeliever, if you are acting in this way, be warned. Be warned the Lord is the avenger. The Lord is the just God. That should cause everyone, everyone to take note, to stop and think, if i sin in this way if i commit this act who is the just one who will punish it's god and his justice is perfect and righteous as i said before the larger catechism provides an entire list of of the sins contained or warned against in, in the Sixth Commandment. I won't read all of them, but I would like to look at a few that I think are, are particularly uh, poignant for people living in today's culture. The duties required in the Seventh, uh, seventh Commandment are chastity and body-mind affections words, And behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and others. Watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, modesty in apparel. And I'll stop there. The seventh commandment, part of God's holy law, calls us to behave in a chaste way in all that we are and all that we do. It calls us to associate with with chaste people. What are your practices regarding this? Are you behaving in chaste ways? Are you keeping chaste company? I mentioned before how prevalent sexual immorality is in our culture. Are you watching movies or TV shows? Are you reading books where sexual immorality is glorified? You're not keeping chaste company. You're partaking in in that very same sin by the association. That should be something which isn't even named in, in the church. And yet so often, Christians will watch things say, well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a movie. They're actors. It's, it's all pretend. It's a good story. You know, I, I just kind of ignore that stuff, because it's a good story. I would exhort you and encourage you, no matter how good of a story it is, is it worth your soul? Is it worth being corrupted? And defiled of having a low view of God's holiness and the holiness he calls you to, of having a low view of, of other people, of seeing them as objects. I encourage you to take care. Guard your, your eye gate, your ear gate, your eye gate. Take care. Parents, especially, take care of, of what your children are partaking in. Don't just let them read whatever, watch whatever. You must monitor it for their own good. This is especially true of the internet. While I can't bind your conscience and don't want to in any way, uh, it would probably be a very good principle not to allow children on the internet. Pastor Van Dudeward over at Covenant OPC has has made an illustration that I've heard a number of times. You wouldn't staple a pornographic magazine on the back of your Bible and hand it to your kids and say, don't go past Revelation, would you? So why would you give them unfettered access to something which contains all sorts of, of violent, heinous sins? There are so many excellent resources on the Internet, and yet it is so very easy for young people to become ensnared. So parents, guard your children for your sake, for their sake, for the glory of God. And children, young people, I would encourage you, purpose even now in your youth to abstain from any and all sexual immorality Guard yourselves. There are ways that you can do this even now as children. You can guard your speech. You can avoid telling crass and inappropriate jokes. You can even now pray that the Lord would would help you and and preserve you, that He would keep your, your mind and your heart pure in all of these things. Keep your language pure. Keep your, keep your thoughts pure. Work on that for your own sake, for the sake of your friends, for the sake of the glory of God. It's a fantastic thing to grow up and be an adult and not have to look back on your life and say, I wish I hadn't sinned in these ways. It helps you to serve the Lord in a a freer way, even in your youth. So I encourage and exhort you, young people, young men, young women, guard yourselves. Go to your parents, ask them to help you guard yourself. Be vigilant. Mark, The sin of sexual immorality is something that you never want to partake in. Flee from it. Avoid it. Abstain from it. So that you might grow in holiness and glorify the Lord your God. See, Paul has spoken about this progressive sanctification that we need, that we need to increase more and more to excel. He's spoken of this particular area wherein many of us need sanctification. But Paul also talks of the fact that this sanctification has a purpose. He gives two aspects to this. One in verse 7, one in verse 8. In verse 7, he says that the purpose of this sanctification is purity. Look at verse 7. He says, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. The fact of the matter is, the Lord's desire for you to abstain from sexual immorality is because He loves you. He desires you to be holy. He desires for you to be pure in all things. That's the purpose of this sanctification. Purity. To be, to be spotless. Part of the bride of Christ. To be holy. Even as God is holy. To reflect our family. As it were. You know that the Lord has, has called us. He, he chose us. Predestined us. Adopted us. Saved us. What does Ephesians 1 say? So that we might be holy. Holy. That was one of the reasons he saved us, for our holiness, to bear his image as the holy God. As I look out among you, children, partially because I know you and know what family you belong to, I see uh, resemblances. But I think I could probably see a good deal of family resemblance, even if I didn't know which family you belong to. Groffs look like Groffs, Cooks look like Cooks, Marcuses look like Marcuses, right? Colvins look like Colvins, Homs look like Homs. You have a family resemblance. You look like each other. God has called us to this salvation, called us to grow in holiness so that we look more like our Heavenly Father, so we look more like the Lord Jesus Christ our elder brother. It's a purpose, purity of life that reflects the purity of God to those around us. To be those adopted children who reflect his glory to the world around us. And the other purpose of this sanctification, this purposeful sanctification, is That God might be honored and glorified. Verse 8 looks at this uh, from a negative perspective. Paul writes, he who rejects this, that is this this teaching on the need for sanctification, to progress in sanctification, to abstain from sexual immorality. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to us, to you. See, neglecting sanctification demonstrates two things about people. One, it demonstrates that you don't love God. Neglecting sanctification, sitting back shows that you don't love God. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Lord Jesus Christ Loves his Father with a perfect love. He kept all of the commandments given to him and lived a pure and holy life. He was spotless, perfect. He calls us to follow him in the same way. He gives us his spirit to guide and direct us, to work in us, to will and to work the Father's pleasure, to do what he's called us to do, but neglecting sanctification. Sanctification. Sitting back and saying, no, I don't need to grow in holiness demonstrates a lack of love for the God who saved us, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Neglecting sanctification also shows how little you think of God's grace. If you neglect sanctification... You might be saying in your head, well, I'll continue in sin so that grace may abound. What does Paul say to that? God forbid. We ought never to think that way. Neglecting sanctification is saying, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for all of those sins I've already committed. He's died on the cross for the sins I'm going to commit. So it doesn't really matter if I commit them. Doesn't matter. Jesus already died for them. That thinks so little of God's grace. What foolishness is that? Has Christ's death for his people fully atoned for all of their sins? Yes, it has. And praise the Lord for that. But that's not a license to sin. God has not called us to spurn his grace and continue sinning because of what Christ has done. He said, This is how much I loved you. This is how gracious I am. This is the great salvation which I provide for you. Now that I have changed you. Follow me. The true Christian hears that call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. To walk in his ways and rejoices. Now it's difficult to be sure. Holiness is a hard task. The law of God is perfect. We are very not perfect, aren't we? We still have that indwelling sin in us. So our flesh wars against our spirit and we say, oh, the law of God is good and perfect and I want to keep it. And yet we fail time and time again. The reaction of the true Christian, though, is not to say, well, that's no big deal. It's to Repent. To see that sin for what it is. To mourn that we broke God's good and perfect law. To mourn that we've done something which does not please God. And to go to him swiftly. Asking him to forgive us once again. The very good news is he does forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And to call us to once again pursue that holy life to which he has called us. Sanctification is putting to death the deeds of the flesh more and more so that we can live unto righteousness more and more. It's putting aside that sin so that we might better walk in God's ways. That's what he calls us to do. This question then I think should raise a very important question in our minds. Do I love God? Do you love God? I, I trust that many of you, Lord willing, all of you do. Show it. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, keep His commandments. Show it. Be a reflection of your Heavenly Father. Be a reflection of your elder brother. Be a reflection of the thrice holy God by walking in His ways, showing to all those people around us that the Lord does indeed truly change the hearts of men, the minds of men, the lives of men, so that He might be glorified. He has saved us for His own glory. Let us seek to glorify Him in all that we do. If you answer that question, do I love Christ? And you say, I don't know. Cry out to God. Pray to Him right now, asking Him to give you a love for Him, a a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray to Him to give you faith in Christ. That you would trust in Christ fully to be the Savior of your sins. That you would not take for granted the grace of God, but that you would see it for for the great and glorious gift that it is. Uh, That you would see that grace and see Christ in all of His beauty and run to Him as the only Savior. Children, many of you, I'm sure, know many, many facts about God. You have knowledge of God. Perhaps you believe that all of those Facts are are true and right. But are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? That is true faith. Knowing the truth and believing that it's all true. Being even happy and joyful that it's all true. But you must also place your trust in Christ. Trusting in Him. Leaning upon Him as your only hope in life and in death. So I encourage you all that if you answered that question, do I love Christ? And you say, I don't know. Well, ask him to give you a love. Flee to Christ in faith. And ask him to help you to grow in your sanctification. We live in this age where sexual immorality is so prevalent. <laughs> if you talk to Many people about what God says about purity, they'll, I mean, at the least, roll their eyes. Uh, At the worst, they scoff and mock and outright reject God's ethics. There is, in this age, an idolatrous pursuit of pleasure, especially uh, in the realm of sexual immorality. People love it. they, They flee to it. You, beloved, are called to something different. You're called to a life of holiness. You are called by God to be set apart unto God, living a life that demonstrates that set-apartness. This is why Paul stresses the need for growing sanctification, excelling. This is why he, he talks about how <clears throat> excuse me, it, it pleases God and how it, it's something which the Christian must do. It's why he focuses on sanctification as the um, thing which Christ has commanded, according to his law. This is why Paul writes about this particular area of sanctification, and how we need to be sanctified in all particular areas, especially as regards sexual immorality, how we must avoid it and how we must possess it. Our bodies in sanctification and honor, how not doing that demonstrates uh, a spirit which still has indwelling sin at the best, but at the worst does not know God at all. And how this sin is sin not only against ourselves, but also against our brother. Sexual immorality is this great and and vile sin. And that's why Paul points all this out. He lived in an age where it was... Great sin, we live in an age where it is great sin. We are called to be pure, especially in this particular area. And we are called to these things for the purpose of glorifying the thrice holy God by reflecting his character in our lives, by being pure and holy even as he is, and and by honoring him in our words, thoughts, and deeds. That is what this text drives home to us this evening. The Triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit calls you to sanctification. <laughs> calls, commands, tells you you must grow in sanctification. Particular in particular areas, and for this glorious purpose, called to a, a progressive, particular, and purposeful sanctification. In light of that, then, I would exhort you in the name of Christ work out your salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that it is the Spirit who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Seek to grow in your sanctification. Make use of the means God has provided to you to grow in your sanctification. Avoid sexual immorality and and plea to the Lord that he would help you in that, and that he would preserve you in that, that you might glorify him. And do this not for your own glory and honor, not so people would look at you and say, well, that's Fantastic person right there. Do it so that you might glorify the Father. Do this in humble reliance upon the Holy Spirit so that you'll have the great joy of one day hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we do thank you for this word you have given to us Father, you call us to be sanctified, to be holy. You have chosen us to this end, that we might be a people holy unto you. We pray that you would help us in this task. Oh, Lord, we we want to obey you. We do love you. We do love your commands. Help us to keep them. We are weak and frail. Oh, Lord, we most desperately need your help. So we ask that you would help us do this, O Lord, for your glory and honor. Preserve us in this evil age, O Lord, that we might be pure and holy before you. Father, be with each of the young people in this congregation. Help them as they grow up in an age which uh, promotes and extols sexual immorality. Help them, O Lord, to be pure. Keep them safe. And help the adults to maintain purity, to possess their vessels in sanctification and honor, to grow in their love of Christ so that they might further put to death any deeds of the flesh. We pray that you would do this, Lord, that you might be glorified and honored in our lives. We ask in Christ's name, amen. amen.